in the book of Genesis. Uh, we began three weeks ago, I think it was, on an Old Testament survey. We're going to just do a high level. This is not an in-depth, verse-by-verse um, coverage of these books. We just went through Genesis about a year ago, and uh, so uh, we don't need to go back through verse-by-verse again, but we are going to <coughs> excuse me, give a framework of the Old Testament, a good working knowledge, uh, something that as we read Scripture, we can... Uh, we can have the setting, we can have the context, we can have a little bit about the times and the cultures uh, that were there, things that were going on during that time perhaps, uh, some of the key thoughts and key stories, key verses of, of the, each book. And uh, so hopefully this will be helpful. We spent the last three weeks establishing um, the importance of having a right Bible, a Bible that is not only inspired by God, but has been preserved without error. And we believe that to be the King James Version of Scripture. We've spent three weeks teaching on that and why we believe that to be so and giving proofs of that. And uh, so I don't want to go back through and re-preach or re-teach all of that. If you miss some of those, you can go back online and uh, search some of those things and be able to find them and uh, listen to them again. And uh, hopefully they'll be a help to you. Uh, I know a lot of folks that have different views, worldviews, um, and a lot of even Christian folks today. I've got relatives of mine that are Christians. They go to church every week, uh, and they even go to Bible-preaching churches. And yet when I talk with them, they have different views about different things, and one of them uh, being the accuracy of the first part of the book of Genesis. Genesis is a book of beginnings. It's at the very beginning of our Bible, for one thing, but it deals with the beginning of the world. And uh, it's interesting to me how many Christian folks who will not take at face value or to take to be true the Genesis account of creation. Uh, there are a lot of folks out there that continue to hold to uh, the theory of evolution. And uh, even in the face of all of the uh, different um, uh, proofs that there are and evidences that, that there are. Uh, we spent some time on... on uh, Wednesday. Now, before I get into this, let me make a real quick announcement here, okay? So time out for the lesson for a second. Uh, I do want to make a quick announcement here. Uh, we're doing Old Testament survey on Sunday mornings in Sunday school, and we're doing prophecy on Wednesday nights. And uh, I want to encourage you in this. I've, I've got some people in our church that they like to take notes because they can't remember everything. And you are welcome to take notes. Please do not. You're not going to bother me a bit if your head is down taking notes. That does not bother me. There are other people that don't do well taking notes. They want to focus and listen. And so I've had some people say, well, those of us that want to just listen and not take notes, can you give us your uh, notes uh, that you're getting and so we can have it to review? So what I think I'm going to do so that it's not a distraction week by week is those of you that like to take notes, you're welcome to take them, but I will make available to you um, the following week the lessons that we taught the week before in, in typed note value, as much as I have time to get them typed, that some of them may be handwritten. Uh, but I'll try to do them in typed form. Now, I already started that on Wednesday night last week by giving uh, the first lesson on prophecy in typed note format. And I will be glad to do that here in uh, our study on Old Testament survey. So I say all that to say this. Some of you, you're writing, taking notes, and I've had a couple comments. Well, Pastor, I, I missed this or I missed that. And uh, how do I get that, uh, that information? Uh, don't feel bad if you're taking notes and you miss one or two things. I will give you the notes the following week, so if you miss something, you'll have those there, okay? 
So we'll do that both for the Sunday school hour and the Wednesday night hour, okay? All right, so just wanted to make that quick uh, public service announcement, and now we're back to the lesson, all right? So uh, we taught this a little bit on Wednesday night, and it's applicable to our lesson today as well. So I'm going to run back through this very quickly. Roughly, and I'm going to give you some approximate dates and times based on uh, the genealogies that are given in Scripture. They are there for our purpose and for um, all Scripture, the Bible says, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So even when you go through all the genealogies, there is something that we benefit from that. And one of the things that benefits us is we have a framework of time. Uh, and while every uh, generation is not listed, they do all overlap. The generations that are listed do overlap. And so you can take the time frames that are given and you can calculate based on depending on which calendar you use, you can calculate pretty accurately uh, what time things happen in Scripture. And so um, roughly about 4,000 years ago uh, was uh, the beginning of creation. This is when God created the world. And by the way, there are a lot of scientific evidences uh, that also help us to know this. <clears throat> when, uh, when NASA was landing on the moon for the very first time, if you remember some of the pictures, the landing uh, module had these huge pads. They were about five or six foot around uh, that were uh, to be able to land on the surface of the moon. And the reason for that was <clears throat> they had believed some of the evolutionary theory that the Earth and the Moon and this galaxy and these things had all been in place for several million years. NASA could calculate, they had already been able to measure and calculate <clears throat> the rate <clears throat> that the dust would come and form on the Moon. And so they knew roughly the rate that it was accumulating. They expected uh, to find silt on the Moon that was about 14 or 15 feet in depth. When they landed, they found it only to be about an inch and a half deep. Uh, and that's the reason they had those big pads on the bottom of them. Um, they were expecting this thing to, to want to sink down into this. And um, so anyway, the, 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 even, even something as small as that helps to indicate that based on what they have as a known rate of accumulation, uh, they believe that the earth is not much more than about 4,000 years old, uh, or 6,000 years old now, and that it began about 4,000 B.C., uh, and figuring that. There's other things that can be used, such as the erosion of Niagara Falls, and uh, they're losing three feet of solid granite every year, and the amount of granite that it would have had to take uh, would be about 4,000 years. You say, why 4,000? Well, because we had a worldwide flood uh, about 2,000 years into creation, and so um, it, all, it all fits together. Isn't it amazing how science eventually catches up with Scripture? and uh, helps to support those things. We don't need that to help believe the Bible. We believe the Bible because we believe it to be God's Word. But it is interesting that even uh, folks that do not believe the Bible uh, can see how accurate and how truthful it is, even in the area of science. So we find that creation was about, uh, about uh, 4,000 years B.C., or about 6,000 years ago uh, from our lifespan. <clears throat> they were, uh, according to Genesis, they were given as... Six literal days of creation, and then the seventh day that God rested. Um, about 2000, 2350 B.C. or so, uh, we find the flood happening, the worldwide flood that the Bible speaks about. Um, that would be about 2350 B.C. And then, of course, we have Christ coming on the scene, and uh, we actually have our cal uh, calendars 
based on uh, B.C. and A.D. And uh, A.D. is, uh, if I can pronounce it correctly, Anno Domenico, I think is the way it's pronounced. It's Latin. And it means in the year of our Lord. Isn't that amazing? That even our secular society uses the time of Christ as a mark for our calendars. Uh, even atheists will say, we live in 1922. Well, how did you get that? Well, it's from the year of our Lord. Uh, and they have to acknowledge that. And so it's very interesting to see that. So the earth has been in existence about 6,000 years, roughly. And, then, you know, there's, depending on which calendar you look, and there's, uh, these are round numbers. These aren't down to the, to the exact years, but given, given some pretty close time frames. And uh, so we find that this is kind of the setting that we are. We are in a young earth. We are not in a millions of years uh, earth. Um, some people have argued, and I know one argument that I had one time when I was talking with an evolutionist was, then how are we seeing light from stars that are um, thousands and millions of light years away? And I said, well, that's very simple. When God created Adam, he created Adam fully mature. He didn't create him as a baby and let him grow. He created him as a man. And so when God put light in place, he didn't put it at the source and make it run all this distance. He put it in place. And uh, so we can absolutely see. And you look at creation, he created a mature creation. He didn't create an infant creation. And uh, so it's very interesting to see these things. So uh, the book of Genesis gives us the account of... Uh, of um, uh, the beginning of the world. Now look with me, if you will, in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. <coughs> the Bible says, In the beginning, God... And I'm going to stop right there for a moment. It does not try to explain where He came from. He was already there. John chapter 1, and verse number 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when the beginning happened, God was already here. He did not have a beginning. He lives in eternity past, in eternity future, and in all of eternity. In fact, using the term eternity past and eternity future is an oxymoron because it doesn't, uh, it doesn't uh, have any time limit. There's no past. There is no future. It's just eternity. And uh, God lives in eternity. He did not have a beginning, and He does not have an end. So uh, very important that we understand these things. If we do not take... Genesis, to be true and accurate, we may as well throw the rest of Scripture out. Then nothing else becomes true and accurate throughout Scripture because it all hinges on God being self-sufficient, self-sustaining, and already in existence in eternity, coming out and, and stepping out on nothing and speaking into existence the things that are. And very important that we trust this from Scripture and that we believe it from Scripture. Um, Genesis is... Um, dealing primarily with four events and four people. Okay, so I'm going to give you this breakdown real quick. If you want to write these down, you're welcome to do that. <clears throat> There's four events, major events, that are given in the book of Genesis and four major characters or people that, is also, that are also dealt with in the book of Genesis. In chapters 1 through 11, we find the first four events. In chapters 1 through 11, we'll find the first four events. So from chapter 1... All the way through chapter 2, verse number 25, uh, we find the creation. All right? We find the creation. If somebody wants to know anything about creation, you'll be able to say, that's in Genesis 1 and 2, up to about verse number 25 or so. All right? The second event found in creation 
is from chapter 3 and verse number 1 through chapter 5 and verse number 32, and that is the fall of man or the sin of man. All right, the fall of man. This is critical because uh, we have to understand that man fell in order for us to understand our sinful condition. If we don't understand our sinful condition, we don't understand our need for a Savior. So the fall of man is critical that we understand and know. All right? The third event that takes place in the first 11 chapters of Genesis is the worldwide flood. And this is found in chapter number 6 through chapter number 9 and verse number 29. The flood. Chapter 6 through chapter 9 and verse number 29. And then we find the creation and disbursement of the nations. The creation and the disbursement of the nations. Now, this would be the Tower of Babel, uh, the time that the languages were um, confused and people sectioned off with uh, folks that spoke the same language, basically. And they all began to disperse throughout the world. Um, And so this was in verse uh, chapter 10 and verse number 1 through chapter 11 and verse number 9. Again, so if somebody's asking you, well, where's the flood in the Scriptures? Well, you'll know it's in the book of Genesis. It's one of the four major events. You'll know it's in the first 11 chapters of Genesis because all of the four events that Genesis talks about are in the first 11 chapters. And so, again, that will help you to be able to know the Scripture, to handle it well, to be able to get to the place that you need to for these types of references. All right, uh, so we have the four events. Now we have four people that are dealt with, and these are dealt with from chapter 12 all the way through to the end of Genesis. Chapter number 12 all the way through the end of Genesis, we're going to see four people that are specifically dealt with here. The first one is Abraham. He comes on the scene in chapter number 11 and verse 10. Chapter 11 and verse 10. And his life takes all the way through chapter 25 and verse number 18. Chapter 25 and verse number 18, or about uh, about 14 chapters there. Okay, so we have Abraham in chapter 11 through chapter 25. And then from the middle of chapter 25, 25, 19, through 26, 35, you'll find the uh, character of Isaac. Now, not a lot is said about Isaac. Uh, he was the son of Abraham. Um, not a lot is said about him. But he is a major character. And uh, the Israelites refer to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, these are the three that God appeared to and said, I'll be your God and I will make of you a great nation. And he reiterated that both uh, with all of these characters all the way down through here. So Isaac is found in chapter 25 uh, and uh, 26. Then we find Jacob. Jacob was the son of... Of Isaac, remember they were twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the younger of the two, but God has chosen to use Jacob as the line uh, for the Messiah. All right? Chapter 27, verse 1 through 36, 43. And again, I'll, if you miss some of these references, don't sweat. I'll make these notes available to you next week, all right? So just trying to get these uh, in, your, in, your, in your heart and in your mind. And then we deal, the last character in, uh, in Genesis is Joseph. All right? The last character is Joseph, uh, chapter 37 through chapter 50, through the end of the book. Chapter 37 through 50.
The first 11 chapters of Genesis deals with about a 2,000-year period. A 2,000-year period in the first 11 chapters. That's a big section of history to cover. Um, And it deals with primarily the area of what we commonly refer to in history today as the Fertile Crescent area. This would have been around uh, the area probably where the Garden of Eden had been at the uh, beginning of time and the area surrounding that, a very uh, fertile area. Uh, And so the first 11 chapters deals with uh, about 2,000 years in that basic area. The middle section of um, Genesis uh, will deal with about 200 years. Um, and this is dealt with primarily in the region or the area of where Israel is today, in the Canaan area and, and that area. Um, and then uh, the last section uh, deals with about 90 years of history, and that is found in Egypt, the area of Egypt. Now, a few weeks ago, I handed out a map. If you uh, didn't get that map, I have some extra copies of it back there on the table. And I want to encourage you to get that and keep it handy as a point of reference as we go through some of this Old Testament survey so that we can kind of get a mental picture of where some of these events happened and uh, how this was all laid out and how God kind of worked in some of these areas. Uh, Sometimes the geography of it, you think, well, that, that doesn't make a big difference. But sometimes when you start looking at some of the geography of it, it helps to make some sense in Scripture why God did things the way that He did. And uh, it's very interesting to study. So I want to encourage you, if you don't have one of those, to get one of those and uh, keep it handy as a reference. I don't know that we'll get in depth in it today, uh, but uh, here in the next two or three weeks we'll be using them quite a bit, I believe. All right. So the time of Genesis deals with uh, the first section of it, 2,000 years, the middle of it about 200 more years, and then the end of it about 90 years. So about 200 or 2,400 years roughly or 300 years roughly, somewhere in that area. Okay. Now, the author of Genesis, of course, we understand that there were about 40 human instruments, 45 human instruments, used, human folks that were used to pen Scripture. All of them were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, they uh, spake as God uh, moved them and the Holy Spirit moved them. And so they wrote not just the thoughts of God, but they actually wrote the words that God wanted them to write. It was God-breathed. It's a very interesting uh, study to look at inspiration of Scripture. And uh, so they were God-breathed. But the human author, the human instrument that was used to pen uh, the book of Genesis is uh, fairly well known to be Moses. And there's quite a bit of um, evidence to that fact. I'm going to give you a large number of references here that show us that Moses was the one who was uh, to be used uh, to do this. And again, keep in mind now that Moses is writing this uh, over 2,000 years after the beginning of creation. He's writing these events uh, from a historical view, a historical uh, uh, way. You say, well, how did Moses know uh, what happened at the beginning of time? Uh, There had to have been an eyewitness there to know what happened at the beginning of time. And there was. And he was the one who was sitting there telling Moses, this is what I want you to write down. Who was the eyewitness at creation? God was eyewitness at creation, wasn't he? He was there. He saw it all. And so he gives this to Moses and, uh, and shows him this. Let me give you a list of, uh, I'm not going to go through the entire list. I'll, again, I'll have them printed out. But I'm going to give you quite a few references here uh, of Scripture, both in the Old Testament <coughs> excuse me, and the New Testament, that verify that Moses is the author 
of the first five books of our Old Testament. All right? The first one is found in Exodus chapter number 17, verse number 14. Exodus chapter number 17 and verse number 14. The second one is in Leviticus chapter 1 and verse number 1. There's a reference to that, that Moses is the author of, uh, of uh, Leviticus. Uh, Numbers, uh, also 33 and verse number 2. Numbers 33 and verse number 2. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse number 1. Then there are many others. There's some in Joshua, First and Second Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, Malachi. All of these other books make reference to that, and I'll have those references for you next week. In the New Testament, we find the New Testament writers referring to the writings of Moses. And uh, we find in Matthew chapter number 8, so these would be New Testament references, Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 4, Mark chapter 12 and verse number 26, Luke chapter 16 and verse number 29, and John chapter 7 and verse number 19. And again, if you miss some of those, I'll have those available to you. So there are many, many. Uh, there's also references in Acts. There are references in Romans. There's references in both First and Second Corinthians. So there are many, many references by other authors of Scripture saying that Moses is the author of these. Uh, again, the first five books, we know them as the what? Anybody remember from our first lesson? What do we call the first five books? What is it? The Pentateuch, okay? The Pentateuch. That's a weird name, but it just simply means the first five books of the Bible. Uh, those were all written by Moses, all right? So, again, our author here is uh, Moses. Let me give you a real quick rundown. We gave this a couple weeks ago, but in case you missed it or you weren't here, let me give you a real quick rundown of this. Um, all the way from uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, uh, we find the... Uh, what we call the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible. This deals with the creation of man, and it also deals with the giving of the law, God giving the law uh, to man. Um, and then we have, uh, let's see, Joshua through, oh, let's see here, Joshua down through Esther, we have as what we call the historic books, or these are the history of man. All right, the history of man from Joshua through Esther. From Job through the Song of Solomon, we have what are called the poetic books. The poetic books. And then uh, from Jeremiah through Daniel, we have the major prophets. And from Hosea through Malachi, we have what are called the minor prophets. And again, they're not minor because they weren't as important. They were minor simply because the size of the book was smaller than the other ones. So it's interesting to me as I look at the composition of the Old Testament. I was telling somebody about this Wednesday. Um, you find God at the very beginning of our Bible tells us that He created man, and then He gives man a, a set of rules to live by called the law. And then you find the history of man, and this shows that God is keeping record of how well did man succeed in keeping this law that He had given him. And certainly we find over and over again man doesn't do a real good job of that, does he? Uh, quite often he does not. And then we find uh, uh, five books of uh, what we call poetry, but all of them point to the magnificence of God. And uh, 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 In Job it talks about his greatness. In fact, uh, it's amazing. I was reading in Job this week, and I love reading when Job questions God, and God says, where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I did all this? 
and, uh, and really just kind of saying, Job, you know, I am mighty, I am great, I am all-powerful. And uh, so it deals with that. And uh, then you got Psalms, which, of course, gives praise to God and uh, for His attributes and all the things that He is. Proverbs shows the wisdom of God, the infinite wisdom that God has. Um, uh, Song of Solomon, or Ecclesiastes shows uh, the lessons that he preaches to us. And Ecclesiastes uh, deals with, uh, from the preacher, and uh, of course the things, the, the religious principles that God wants us to learn in our everyday life. And then uh, uh, Song of Solomon shows us the infinite love of God. And so all of these five books deal with us lifting him up and giving him his rightful position. So if you look at it from... God creating man, God giving man the law, and man breaks it. We have a history of that. And then God says, listen, I am God Almighty for five books. I am all of this. I'm everything. And then he says, now let me tell you what's getting ready to happen. And he starts giving the prophets. Uh, it's amazing that how perfectly our Bible is laid out, isn't it? Uh, just in sequence of what God intends for us to know. And he tells us what's to come. And then we get into the New Testament. He says, now... Make sure you're ready for what's to come. And he tells us the plan of salvation. What, a, what an amazing book. Isn't it amazing how it's all just... Uh, we look at that and say, what a coincidence. No, what an amazing God to see these things. All right, let me give you real quick the Christ of Genesis. And hopefully every time we come to a book, if I forget to put this section in there, I'll, I'll try to make this the main part of it. Because to me, this is the exciting part. Everything else is facts and figures and just giving us knowledge about the book. But I love to see Christ in these books, don't you? And so let's take a quick uh, gander. We're going to look at several of them, and maybe we'll get through all of it today. If not, we'll pick up there next Sunday. All right, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3. <clears throat> and uh, let's start in verse number 14. And God is now uh, doling out the punishments uh, to Adam, to Eve, and then to the serpent. And isn't it interesting that when God came to Adam and he says, Hey, uh, where art thou, Adam? And uh, God knew exactly where Adam was, didn't he? Yeah, he wanted Adam to know where Adam was, that he was away from God. He was hiding from God. I imagine Adam in that moment thought, Why am I here cowering from God? There's something wrong here. And uh, he wanted Adam to know these things. So he asked Adam what happened. And what did Adam do? He said, The woman thou gavest me. Isn't that what he said? You know, he's, he was kind of blaming the woman, but really, who was he blaming? He's blaming God. God, you're the one that gave her to me. So, you know, it's, it's, so he blamed. And then, uh, then the woman, he asked her, you know, why did you do this? And he said, she said, the serpent thou hast created. So who is she blaming? She's blaming God. And uh, then, he, of course, he gives the, the judgments to each of them. Look with me in verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Boy, what a, what a puzzling statement. Is he talking about the seed of a snake or a seed of a personality? a person of, of, of one that was possessing that snake or that serpent. He's talking about Satan's seed, wasn't he? He says, I'm going to put enmity between uh, the, uh, thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Now notice this. It shall bruise thy head. What? The seed of the woman. 
is going to bruise the head of the serpent, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And it's amazing to me that while Satan thought he had gained the victory at Calvary, Christ had the victory, didn't he? Isn't that an amazing thought? He had the victory. And so we find here in verse 15 the first glimpses of God saying there's going to come from the seed of the woman a deliverer. It's going to conquer the seed of Satan. It's going to conquer the seed of the serpent here. So in, in chapter 3, verse number 15, while Christ is not specifically named, he certainly is made reference to here, isn't he? Now look with me in chapter 4, in verse number 25. Chapter 4 and verse number 25. <clears throat> now again, remember they had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, doesn't he? And notice this in verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. We don't normally teach or preach much on Seth. We teach a lot on Cain and Abel, but very little on Seth. Notice what it says here. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. She's referring here to the seed that God has spoken of in chapter number 3. Seth becomes the line that the Messiah is going to come through. And again, just a, a, a glimpse, just a glimmer, just kind of a hint. And uh, Genesis is interesting because it always deals at the beginning with general, and then as it goes along, by the time you get to the end of the book, it's very, very specific. That's why we have 2,000 years in the first part, then we have 200 years, and then we have 90 years. It's like we're focusing in on some things. And so again, it's done generally speaking here. Look with me in chapter number 9. And uh, let's go to verse number 27, chapter number 9, and verse number 27. Now, at this point, several things have happened. Several generations have come and gone, and we get to the place of Noah. Now, Noah's in the time of the flood, obviously, because he's the one who built the ark, right? So we find uh, about ten generations or so, roughly, somewhere in there, uh, we find Noah coming on the scene. And then uh, from him, he has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So let's look in chapter number 9, and let's go down to verse number 27. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So who is he saying is going to be the one that has the promise here? It certainly is not going to be Japheth, is it? Who's he, who's he giving the blessing to here? He's giving the blessing to Shem, isn't he? And so again, we see a, a hint, a glimmer of this is the line that Christ will come through uh, because he's the one that will be uh, over the line of Japheth. Now turn with me to chapter number 12. Okay? Again, not, not specifically mentioned, but just glimmers, glimpses, hints, that this is what God has in plan and what's, what God has in store. Now we get to chapter number 12, and let's begin in verse 1. This is about ten more generations. In fact, Abraham is the tenth firstborn uh, from Shem. So you have, he was the tenth firstborn of firstborns all the way back to Shem, so you can follow that lineage there. Abraham was that tenth one. And we get to uh, chapter 12 and verse number 1. Now the Lord 
had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall, notice this, all families of the earth be blessed. Again, not naming Christ specifically, but now that we look back on it as historical, we know what is being referred to here, don't we? That all families of the earth will be blessed through the line of Abraham and the descendants of Abraham. Let's look in Genesis chapter 21. And I've got two more references here, so if you'll bear with me, we'll be done here in just a moment. Genesis chapter number 21. And uh, let's look in verse number 12. So now we're dealing with Isaac, this would be Abraham's son. Isaac uh, is dealing, uh, being dealt with here, chapter 21, and let's look at verse number 12. Genesis 21 and verse number 12. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman, all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And so again, we find that God chooses to use the line of not only Abraham, but now through Isaac. He's made that promise. By the way, Isaac uh, is not one of the most godly characters of Scripture in the, New Testament, in the Old Testament. A lot of what God does through Isaac is for Abraham's sake. Because Abraham was a godly man and pleased God, uh, he did many things through Isaac because of Abraham. Uh, now, Isaac certainly came to a point, I believe, where God was his God. I have no doubt of that. Uh, but uh, there wasn't a whole lot to be written about him from a godly standpoint, which I believe is why Scripture only gives about a chapter and a half to uh, the life of Isaac. And then we go to Genesis chapter number 25. And again, we're getting to the end of uh, dealing with the characters of uh, Genesis here. as we come into the last two here, Genesis chapter 25... And verse number 23, now we're dealing with Isaac's son. So we have Abraham, then Isaac, now we have Jacob. In chapter 25, and let's look in verse number 23. <clears throat> and the Lord said unto her, uh, speaking of Isaac's wife, uh, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And you remember the story of Jacob and Esau, how that Esau was the firstborn, he was the elder. But in God's plan, uh, he was told, they were told before time that the elder would be a servant to the younger. And so Jacob becomes now the line, the blessed line that God has promised to bring Christ through. So we'll deal with a couple more things next week with regards to this. As we look at pictures of Christ in the book of Genesis, uh, things that certainly represent or give a good indication or picture of Christ uh, in Genesis, there were a couple as I was studying this that I came across that I had really never thought of before. And I thought as I began to look at them, I thought, boy, what a great picture of Christ that is in Scripture. And so we'll take some time next week to deal with uh, pictures of Christ in the book of Genesis. And uh, so we'll take uh, a few moments to deal with that next week. And let's go ahead and be dismissed, and we'll be back in about ten minutes or so. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. Lord, may we 
get a good working knowledge of your word, to be able to handle it well, to know where things are located, to know a little bit of the background, to know a little bit of how you're working through uh, the Scriptures. I pray that you would bless the study as we go through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.